0: Speaking of reaching the end of a long journey, we are in our last sermon in the book of Exodus today. Um, this uh, Exodus is a, a great big long book and, uh, and we, have, uh, we have done it. We've reached, uh, if not the promised land, at least the end of the book of Exodus. Um, so uh, we'll be uh, this morning in Exodus chapter 40 starting in verse 34. If you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. You know, as we uh, come to the end of the book of Exodus, uh, we really arrive at a passage that serves as a bit of a hinge, uh, it is the transition from the story that's gone before it uh, to all of the stories that are to come out after it. If you noticed, uh, over and over in this passage was reference to Israel's ongoing journeys, right? That the cloud would lead them, the fire would lead them in their journeys. So we're, in, we're at the end of one story, the story of their rescue out of slavery in Egypt, the story of their journey to Mount Sinai, their receiving of the law. And uh, the transition into the next part of their journey, their journey of uh, walking with God, worshiping God, and then going towards the promised land, taking possession of what God had promised to give them. And in some ways, uh, we always live at this point, don't don't we? We're always uh, living at a transition. Uh, between the story of what God's done in our world and in our lives that predates us, our our story this far, and the rest of our story, right? Trusting God for where he'll lead us in the future, right? We just celebrated uh, our brothers and sisters who graduated from the City Rescue Mission program. You guys are at the, the hinge of a journey, celebrating all that God has done in your life up to this point, and yet recognizing, hey, this isn't the end of a journey. This isn't the end of God's redeeming work in your life, it's the transition uh, into all that he is going to do and to be for you in the days ahead. And so, uh, you know, this final event in Exodus really is the goal of where the story has been so far. We've said over and over again in Exodus that God's, uh, God's plan for the people of Israel wasn't just to set them free from slavery. Right? It wasn't just to redeem them. It wasn't just freedom for freedom's sake. It was freedom so that he might live with them. Right? It was freedom so that they could be free to worship him freely, apart from slavery in Egypt. Right? We've said over and over again that their story mirrors our own, that Jesus' work in our life is about salvation. It is about redemption. It's about getting us free from sin and death. In slavery, but it's a freedom for, right? It's not just a freedom from, it's a freedom for, a freedom for life with God, a freedom for worship and God's service, a freedom in order to be his people, a freedom in order to uh, go into all that he's promised us. And so this end of the book of Exodus looks back on what God's done thus far. It looks right here in the present. God's presence literally falls uh, on them in their present. He's with them right there and then. And it looks forward into the future, into all that God had promised and yet not yet given them as they went into the promised land. You know, the Christian life, the Christian faith is always a looking backwards in gratitude and in trust. It's a looking at our present present in communion with God and in a relationship with him, and it's a looking forward in hope. It always involves all three of those things at once. It has a past, a present, and a future to it. God has saved us from sin, slavery, and penalty. He is saving us right now from sin's dominance in our lives, and he will save us one day, right, from the presence of sin and brokenness in this broken world, he'll set all things right. Looks back, looks in the present, and looks to the future. You know, sometimes when we struggle in our faith, and I know that for, this, for many of us, uh, I know this through just talking with, it, with you, uh, that for many of us, this year has seen a lot of struggles in our faith. It's seen a struggle to, to continue to press on and to hold on by faith through all of the ups and downs and difficulties and fears and anxieties of this year that it's been a struggle. And what I've I've picked up in just talking with people is that sometimes the struggle uh, is the struggle of the backward-looking faith, right? Trusting that Jesus really has done what he said he did, that he really lived and died and rose again, right? Sometimes trials make it hard to believe looking backwards. But I think that for most of us, uh, we would say that the stuff of this year hasn't shaken our confidence in what Jesus has done. Right, that we're no less certain of his resurrection than we were in 2019. But one of the places where faith has been hard over this year has been in the present and in the hope for the future. It's been in the experience of God in the present, right, to believe that God, in the midst of all that we've been through, in the midst of our anxieties and our worries, in the midst of, the, of our traumas, to believe that God is really present with us in the midst of it when, it doesn't, when we don't feel him, When we don't feel necessarily the comfort of our faith or the presence of the Spirit, when he seems distant to really believe that our faith isn't all, all the good stuff's not in the past, but that he actually is with us here and now. And I think it's been a hard year to hope, right? To hope that the future that God is leading us into is real and certain and glorious. Uh, that tomorrow can be better than today or yesterday, that next year could be better than this year, that Jesus is leading us, that we can trust him and to still have hope for the days ahead. When you can't experience God in your present and you don't have hope for your future, your soul withers, right? Faith grows weak. And so, what we're going to look at from this passage briefly uh, today is what faith says about our past and our present and our future. First, gratitude uh, for what has already happened in our past. You know, no matter what we say about the present or the future, uh, the entirety of our faith as Christians is built on what we believe has happened in the past. Right? That the foundation of our faith, the foundation of the Christian claims about the world, Right, That it's not so much about ideas or beliefs or teachings. It's not just uh, ideas to be embraced. But it's a belief that something has happened in history. Right? It's the belief, the foundation of our faith is a belief that Jesus was born of a virgin. Right, That he really lived in history. That he walked uh, the streets of this world. That he really suffered and died. That he truly rose again on the third day. Right, that a lot of, of, the, of the core of Christianity is about looking back at something that we believe happened in history. That's what we celebrate. That's why Holy Week is Holy Week, right? It's the reason why we orient our year around a particular remembrance uh, because we believe that these things happened. Uh, we believe uh, this on good cause, right? That while it's an act of faith, it's an article of faith, that it's not blind faith that on the basis of the testimony of the Gospels, on the basis of eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, on the witness of the apostles who who were so uh, committed to saying what happened in the resurrection, that they were themselves willing to be tortured and killed for their faith. That Christianity uh, ultimately is a resting on something that happened in the past. It's the ability to rest on the finished work of Jesus. Right? Jesus' last words on the cross that we're going to commemorate on Good Friday. Right? It is finished. Right? The work is accomplished. And so, in so many ways, our hope for the future, our experience of God in the present, all of what we hope for as we place our trust in Jesus rests on a work that he completed on our behalf 2,000 years ago. It's a resting on the work that's already been finished for us and on our behalf. Israel, as they stand at this moment, the spirit, the presence of God falling on the tabernacle, his promise to lead them into the future, all of it rests on what he's already done for them, right? All of it rests on the Passover, the exodus out of Egypt, the splitting of the Red Sea, God's incredible acts in their history that got them to this point where they could enjoy his presence and have hope for the future, They would tell that story, the story of the Passover, the story of the Red Sea, the story of those moments where they learned who God was for them. They would tell that story to their children and to their children's children for generations. Those events, those stories were what defined them as a people. In the same way that the story of who Jesus is and has become for us at the cross and at the resurrection shapes who we believe God to be, who we believe ourselves to be as his people. We are those for whom Jesus died. More than that, we are those who through faith have a share in new life, in resurrection life because he rose again. And so faith looks back on the past with hope or or, or with gratitude and with trust because his work is finished. It also enables us, because we believe that the work that saves us is finished, we believe that our salvation is secure in him, it enables us to look backwards on our own lives with gratitude. right? We don't have to to look at our past with rose-colored glasses. right? We confess our sins every week. We think that's part of what it means to be Christians, is to tell the truth about ourselves. But we can look back over our past with some gratitude. Even, that's not to say we haven't struggled or suffered or sinned or wandered, right? There's a lot of us who look back on our past and there's whole chapters of our story that we would skip if we could, right? There's whole, there's whole chapters of our story that we wish weren't uh, the way that they are. And yet, even those dark chapters we can receive with gratitude because Jesus has worked in our lives and in our stories to bring us to this moment, to make his salvation real for us to pursue us and to save us, to make us his own. And so we can receive our lives with some sense of gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you for the life that you've given me. Thank you for the way that you've pursued me. Thank you for the blessings that you've brought into my life. We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, I love the way that the psalmist puts it. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Right, I may not have everything I've ever wanted, Right, I might be able to look over my fence at my neighbor's house and go, man, looks pretty good over there. Right? It doesn't mean that I've got everything I could ever wish for, but it means that I've got what I need. It means that God has been good to me. He's been faithful to me. He's never left me. He's pursued me, and he's brought me to this moment. And so I can look back and say, thank you. Thank you for your redeeming work in my life. Thank you for your redeeming work on the cross. Thank you for all that you've done. But all of that brings us to this moment where we can enjoy the presence of God in the present. Right? That we look back with gratitude and then we can, that enables us in the present, in this day, in this moment, to actually enter into God's presence and to, commute, to, to have a living relationship with him. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so thickly that Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Really, I mean, so much of Exodus has led to this exact moment. right? In in a lot of ways, this is the moment for which God set his people free. Right. We actually, if, if you're if you're a uh, an observant reader, you notice that we skipped about four chapters between. Uh, I think our last sermon was in Exodus 34, and now we're in Exodus 40. Uh, so we skipped six chapters. The reason we did that was because those six chapters are basically a rehashing of the chapters that went right before it. It's one of those where God gives them the instructions to build the tabernacle, and then they build the tabernacle, and it's almost a word-for-word repetition. They're doing what God had told them to do in his instructions. But all that highlights that, you know, if you've got a book where all the, you know, all the good stuff that they put in the movies and the cartoons about the, the Passover and the plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea, all that happens in about the first 12 chapters. And then about a third of the book is taken up what's, what actually makes for fairly boring preaching. It's building instructions for the tabernacle. And then it's the story of them carrying out those instructions. But this is God's way of taking a big highlighter to this story. And saying that the point of all of it has been to get to this moment where my presence, my spirit falls on my people, right? So that they can live with me, right? That the same cloud that fell on Mount Sinai now falls on the tabernacle, right? If you're, if you're the people of Israel, it's a good thing that the presence of God doesn't stick on this mountain that you know you have to leave, right? To get to the promised land, they have to leave Sinai. And now it falls on the tent, that they can take with them, that can accompany them, that can lead them and can guide them. So God pours out his presence on his people because the point of his redemption, the point of everything that he had done to get them to this point, was so that he could dwell with them. As he says over and over again, so that you will be my people and I will be your God. The vision had always been for his people to dwell with him securely in a land that belonged to them. No longer slaves in Egypt or wanderers in the desert, but living with God in his presence in the place that he had promised. And friends, the Gospels tell the same story, right? That the point of all of it, right? The point of Jesus' life and his death, the, the, the point of the sacrifice, the point of Good Friday, the point of Easter Sunday, was so that we could be saved, so that we could be redeemed. And the point of that redemption is so that we could live with God, so that we could live face-to-face with him, that we could know him, that we could rest in his love, that we could enjoy his grace, that we could experience his spirit. You notice this little detail. Verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Right, if I'm Moses, I've done a lot up to this point. I listened to the voice coming out of a burning bush to go back to the land I had just left out of, of slavery, to redeem my people, to confront Pharaoh, to lead the people through the Red Sea is on dry ground. I've interceded for the people on Mount Sinai, I've received the law, I've seen the glory of God, and now when the whole thing comes to fruition, the glory falls on the tabernacle, and I can't go in. Because the glory is there, because the cloud is too thick, because God's holiness is too real. And I'm not able to enter into it. After Exodus comes the book of Leviticus. right? What this transition from Exodus is getting us into is the book of Leviticus, which is... uh, We'll preach through Leviticus one of these days. Um, but it is an entire book about how to enter into the tabernacle and how to later on enter into the temple. It's the book about uh, dealing with this problem that even Moses couldn't come into the presence of God. Because there was this uh, entire system of priestly sacrifices, of daily and, and, and yearly sacrificial ritual. They had to go on in order for God's people to come into the presence of God's holy presence. And so what this is transitioning into, it's, it's like the, the cloud comes down, God's glory comes down, and then there's a big, uh, a big caution sign that comes up, that says, hey, not so fast. It's good news that God's presence is with his people, but in order to enjoy his presence, in order to come into his presence, you have to be brought into his presence. Sacrifice is necessary. This is why the death of Jesus is necessary. It's an, order, it's, an able, it's an order that we, no better than Moses, could actually come into the presence of God and could enjoy his presence without fear of being struck dead by his holiness and his glory. That Jesus paid the once and for all sacrifice so that we could come into the presence of God, so that we could enjoy His presence every day of our lives. Right? It's the, the reason why Jesus' story doesn't end at Holy Week. right? As much as we're going to celebrate uh, this week, His death and His resurrection, the story keeps going. right? It goes and doesn't end until His ascension and is pouring out His Spirit on the people. Right? The story doesn't end until Pentecost when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, pours out His presence, His powerful presence on all of His people. Right, The end of His redemption is that we would have this this, the cloud that fell, the fire that fell, would fall for us not on a temple, not on a tabernacle, but on each of us. That we would know His Spirit. That we would live in relationship with Him. That's what the cross is for. It's what the resurrection is for that we would be remade and able to live with God. I love the way that Luke uh, puts it, the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Right? Luke and Acts should be read like you know, uh, part one and part two of one story. The story of Jesus and the story of the church. And When Luke begins part two, when he begins the story of the church, he says, you've already read part one. Right, You've seen the, the prequel, you've read the gospel, and he describes it as all that Jesus began to do and to teach. By implication, the book of Acts, the life of the church, the story that continues even in this room right now, is what Jesus continues to do and to teach. Right? The work of Jesus began in his life, death, and resurrection, and it continues through us as we bear his light and bear his spirit. As we do his work and serve our neighbors and love our God and share our faith, that Jesus continues his work through his body, marked by his presence. So God's grace and the gospel enables us to look back on our past with gratitude, to, to look back on our to look at our present in an experience of the presence of God. And it enables us to look forward to what's ahead with hope. I love the way that the people are led into this life of faith. We're told that uh, if the cloud picked up out of the tabernacle and moved, the people went with it. If the cloud didn't move, the people stayed put. And that this was God's way of leading them into the promised land. This was God's way of leading them into their future, into the, the land that he had promised. God is leading them into his promise by his very presence, right? He's saying, I'm not done with you. I'm going to continue to do my saving work, and I'm not going to leave you alone, right? I'm not going to, it's not as though God got them to Mount Sinai and said, okay, guys, here's a map. Canaan's over that way. Uh, there's people over there, but good luck with them. Uh, you all figure it out. No, he says, the same God who brought you to this place is going to continue to lead you as you go forward. The same God that saved you is going to deliver you to the, to, the, to the place that he promised. He's going to continue his leading work as we follow. Israel never got a map. They were called into this daily fresh obedience. right? God leads, they follow. They wake up every day and go, are we going today? Right? Is the Father going to lead us somewhere today or do we stay put? It required a daily turning to God in faith, a daily willingness to say, Father, lead, God, lead, and we'll follow. We know for the fact that it took them 40 years that they weren't especially good at this. Um, They didn't always follow with fresh, obedient faith, looking to the hand of their Father. But they're set out on this life of discipleship that involves looking to God to lead us. We see this echoed in the Gospels. What is the, the call that Jesus gives to each of his disciples when he meets them? Come and follow me. Right? Come, follow me. Not just believe in me, not just trust in me, but follow me. Right? Leave what you know. Leave what's comfortable and safe. Leave what you think you, you're certain of. And follow me where I'll lead. You won't always know where it's going. You won't always know how the story is going to be written. But the act of following is an act of trust. It's a trust in the one who, who leads. right? It's the disciples saying to Jesus, I don't know where you're leading, but I trust you. Right? I trust you to lead me. It's the Israelites looking Just saying, Father, I don't know how we're going to get to the promised land, but we trust enough to follow. The call to faith is a call to trust the one who promises us a good future. The one who gives us his presence and then who makes promises to us about where he's leading us. The Bible is filled with extravagant promises about where this journey ends. Right, We know that this journey ends at a new heavens and a new earth. We know that this journey ends with every broken thing made straight and whole again. We know that the journey ends with a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of God, praising the Lamb who sits on the throne. We know that the, war, that the story ends with the lion laying down with the lamb. It ends with our swords being beaten into plowshares. In between here and there, we don't know. Right? We don't know uh, what each year will bring. We don't know what each day will bring, but we trust the one who calls us to be faithful to his promises. We trust the one who gives us his spirit to help us as we do what Paul says. In Galatians, as we live to keep in step with the Spirit, as we follow Jesus and His Spirit into the world that He is making and that He's promised. When we trust Him with our lives. Every one of us wakes up every day right where Exodus ends, at the intersection of two stories. Right, You woke up today at the intersection of all that God has already done for you in Christ and all that God has promised to continue to do for you in Christ. That's where we live our lives. Gifted with His Spirit, blessed with His presence, but at that intersection, That's what we celebrate at Easter. That's what we're going to be celebrating next Sunday. Easter is the the joining together of two stories. right? It's, it's, It's not just where our story's past meets our story future. It's where the entire story of the world makes a transition. Easter is the hinge between everything that went before it, a world where there was one standing law that everything that lives dies, into a new world where what is dead can live again. Right, Easter is that that hinge between those two ages of the world. And when we follow Jesus, we follow him into that new world that's brought in by his resurrection. A world marked by hope and joy and forgiveness and love. C.S. Lewis put it this way, talking about this transition. Uh, At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, so this is the end of the last battle, on the very last page, he, he puts it this way. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story. Right, It's the end of the Chronicles, and yet it's chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one of the hardest things, hardest articles of faith to hold to in the midst of suffering and fear and doubt, uh, is the certainty of hope, is the belief that uh, because of who you are and what you've already done, we can trust that you are leading us somewhere good. We can trust that you are leading us uh, further up and further in uh, to the God who has given all uh, to win us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would nurture hope in our hearts. Lord, that you would help us, each of us, uh, to receive and to live by faith in the finished work of Christ all those years ago, to receive you in our present, living in a daily reliance on your Spirit, and that you would lead us into the future with fresh hope, a knowledge that the one who promised is sure, that the one who promised uh, will complete the good work that he began in us. And so, Lord, as the Apostle Paul, uh, help us to let go of what's behind, to press forward to what's ahead, taking hold of the heavenward call given to us in Christ Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, Please visit our website at Christchurchintown.org.